0: We think we're so clever, we're humans. We come up with all kinds of new ideas, all kinds of inventions, but it's kind of scary how often our most brilliant innovations blow up in our faces. Take plastic, for example.
1: This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston.
0: Hey, it's great to have you with us here on Signs Radio. I'm in COVID-19 lockdown mode, <laughs> recording from my house on a handheld audio recorder. So if the audio quality is not quite the same as in the studio, that's what's going on. And I'm talking to one of one of our authors, who's written a great article in the March magazine, the March Signs of the Times. It's Julie Hoey. How are you, Julie?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Kent.
0: Excellent, excellent. So, Julie, you've written this article for us called That Addresses the Issue of Not So Fantastic plastic and certainly you know over the last couple of years people have become a lot more aware of the issue of plastics and we, we're beginning to hear phrases like you know single-use plastic we've had mm. supermarkets ban or, or at least make us pay for for shopping bags and, and, and things like that do you, do you get the sense that this whole issue of plastic is something that's sort of on the radar perhaps more than it has been in the past
1: Yeah definitely and I read in one place they were sort of saying that there was so much plastic around us in our everyday lives that we just took it for granted and didn't think twice about it. It was such a big part of our lives but yes definitely in the last two or three years it's become a huge issue as people have realised the plastic waste I think was initially you know really the big thing that people started seeing and realising that there was a problem
0: yeah it's it's a complex issue isn't it because I guess it's it's about technology it's about consumerism it's about I guess just the properties of, of the material a- itself but I think what you've done in your article is really interesting because you you've gone right back to the origins of where you know what what we call plastic today where, where these plastics actually came from can you give us a, a thumbnail sketch of the the history of, of plastic
1: Yeah, well, I guess you'll get slightly different stories depending on where you do your research. But the general truth, as as best it can be obtained looking back several decades, was that originally uh, plastic sort of came into being by the desire to get a better material to make billiard balls with because they were using ivory from elephant tusks, which – Obviously, in this day and age, we look at that and think how horrific it is from an animal, you know, rights and animal care point of view. Mm-hmm. But from, from the perspective back then, it was the fact that being a natural material, it had lots of imperfections and, and didn't always, you know, hold its shape. It was subject to, you know, warping and, and changing shape with the weather and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: so, and, and you could get a huge shipment of ivory tusks, and only a small percentage of it would be suitable for making balls. You know, it had to be a good enough diameter and all that sort of thing. So it's you know this, the story is that this led led someone to say, "Come on, let's try and find a better material." And that's where it all started. That they were looking for a better material to make billiard boards with balls with. And they they found it. They created it. They started making things with it. Then the war came, and they discovered all the incredible things that they were able to make and use to supply the war effort. Mm, is, is, is this First um, World War? Or then then the second war World ended. War? Which,
0: which 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 war?
1: I think we are talking the Second World War. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, during World War Two, basically production in the United States tripled in terms of plastic Mm. Um, but then at the end of the war they had all these plastic manufacturing factories and no more war effort needed so – that's when consumerism came in. They started, you know, looking at how they could use this in everyday life, mm. which is often the case. A lot of things that we take for granted in everyday life uh, often have come from a military need initially. Yeah. So it it was initially, yeah, trying to make a better product that served their purposes better. Mm. And I you know, I, I obviously we're really glad now in this day and age that, you know, they stopped that reliance on elephant tusks, at least one element of reliance but unfortunately that probably wasn't their their focus at the time but it's a happy byproduct <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yeah so as you say very much a matter of technology you know technology is just seeing a problem and trying to find a solution so just you know we've got these great people in our society who see a problem and try to solve it and try to find a better way of doing things a better way of making things and that's where plastic came from
0: and yeah, all the yeah. many
1: different types of plastics that we have now.
0: Yeah, I, I remember my when I was a kid, my mum sort of retelling the story of how when she was just a, a little girl in the 1950s and there was this amazing new product called Bakelite. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, how incredibly revolutionary this was and, hey, it's hard and you can drop it and it won't break and, you know, in terms of making plates and, and this sort of stuff – I mean, at that point, it was like, wow, plastic, it's this miracle product that can be mass produced, Absolutely. so much cheaper. It, it was an absolute revolution. And, and I guess, you know, the 1950s were a time of, you know, that sort of post-war prosperity. And so I guess the time was... Huge ripe. social change. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The time was ripe for a whole lot of new products to, to sort of come on the market. Now, Julie, you have a, a background as a science teacher. Yes. So can... Can you explain to us like when we when we talk about plastic what exactly is it like from a, a chemistry point of view? Yeah. Just don't get into too much detail because I'll, I'll start to glaze <laughs> over. But can can you give us a sort of a thumbnail sketch?
1: Yeah, so plastic is actually an adjective rather than a noun as we tend to use it. And right. so a a substance that is plastic we might also think of it as having a plasticity, mm. which means it can be moulded and shaped
0: um, right.
1: into whatever shape we want it to be.
0: Right. So, um, so sometimes we talk about neuroplasticity, which we talking about the brains of children and young people, that they have very plastic mm. brains in, in the sense that their brains are able to be formed and new pathways are able to be formed in them very easily. So this is a, a similar idea, but I guess a more more physical product of something exactly. that's, that's pliable, that's able to be moulded and… And yeah so, and
1: moved, yeah um, the more correct chemical term is a polymer mm-hmm. uh, which just means that you've got a a unit a a molecular unit mm. that is repeated over and over again, so very long chain polymers, and they're able to sort of slip and slide past each other at a you know at a micro level, mm. which is what makes them plastic or moldable
0: right um, right, and
1: so really. And another term that you might come across is the term thermoplastic, which means when you heat it up, you're able to remold it into another shape. And so that's where we get, you know, our recyclable plastics and that sort of thing from uh, okay. uh, to, All right. yeah, to a certain degree. You know, there's and, other ways of recycling as well. but
0: And are they uh, like petroleum products at their basis? Like is this taken from, from oil and, and things like that?
1: Yes, that's right. So that's one of the issues with plastic is that the majority will during this boom time and the golden years of plastic that they have been produced from petroleum. So mm. we've got the added issue of all those sorts of uh, pollution issues and, and running out of the source material issues and that mm. sort of thing and, and mm. environmental mining issues and so on.
0: Yeah, you, you point out in your article that this new miracle product was incredible because hey it lasts forever it's incredible oh you know we won't ever have to buy a you know another one of these again and and this actually turned out to be the downfall of plastic because it lasts forever in landfill
1: (laughs) that's right exactly yeah and doesn't last forever well enough to to really last forever it particularly a lot of the ones that you know we see now they they do start to fade and chip and crack and that sort of thing i mean i certainly i actually still have some plastic bowls and containers of a certain brand that i maybe shouldn't mention from my mother's <laughs> early married life i still have them working perfectly well in my kitchen <laughs> yeah but yeah they sort of they do have that longevity yeah um, and yes exactly the their miracle property became their worst element
0: yeah i think you're talking about tupperware then <laughs> and, and i understand about although i have tupperware products in my house that i'm, I'm looking for a, a tupperware representative to give me some new lids that actually fit because they don't fit anymore so you know so uh, they were supposed to come with a lifetime guarantee weren't they very
1: good with their lifetime guarantee i believe but yes the ones from my mother's era are still going strong
0: <laughs> wow no that's that, that's incredible So what what efforts have been made to, I I guess, you know, we mentioned before, you know, we're looking at single, you know, why do we have single use plastics? Should we stop doing that? Supermarkets have, you know, in in Australia have decided not to provide us free plastic bags anymore. Are there other particular efforts that that are being made to sort of reduce, uh, I guess there's recycling, isn't there? Mm, Well,
1: I suppose there's the mantra, the reduce, reuse, recycle mantra, in all sorts of environmental concerns. So, yeah. in terms of get, getting rid of single-use plastics, you know, that's focusing on the reduce, you know, attack, mm. trying to reduce our reliance on single-use plastics because, yeah, that's just straight up contributing to plastic waste, you know, completely unnecessarily in so many cases. So, I guess reuse is is where we're looking at finding other ways you know to Mm. repurpose things Uh, that's not necessarily a huge focus for plastics necessarily recycling you know we put a lot of efforts into recycling over the past probably 20 years and then we discovered a couple of years ago that a lot of it wasn't actually being recycled it was being shipped off to other countries that needed our money and one of those major countries china decided that they didn't want most of our recycling anymore so that was a big wake-up for, call for Australians who, you know, thought they were all doing the right thing by putting everything in the recycling bin and sorting all their recycling and so on, only to discover that probably the end result was nowhere near the magnitude that they thought it was in terms yeah. of how much was being recycled.
0: What's the difficulty there? Is is it that it just costs too much to pay people to recycle, or is it that the technical process of recycling doesn't produce the right kind of plastic or enough plastic? Like, do you have a sense of what, what the barriers are there?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know why we were taking it offshore, although I guess we do that with a lot of things, send our our problems overseas or whatever. And there have been a lot of efforts to find ways to recycle and, you know, I mean, people have been making furniture with, recycled plastic making road base with with crushed up plastic and that sort of thing it, it may just be a factor of the incredible volume of plastic waste that we produce that it's just hard to find enough you know to, to make enough products to deal with that recycling as being one of the problems you know mm-hmm. but you know even locally uh, around where I live I believe there's a company where you can you know schools and institutions can send their plastic product too and plastic waste and actually get furniture back to put in their workplaces and, you know, around the schoolyard and that sort of
0: thing. Right, right.
1: The efforts are there, but I I think part of the problem on a worldwide global scale is just the huge volume of plastic waste that we produce and possibly also that, you know, there may be other countries that don't have the infrastructure and the finances to operate recycling programs to Mm, the extent mm. that, need to be done
0: perhaps when i was a kid we just used to chuckle this in the incinerator do you remember when everyone yes. in, in the backyard had an incinerator <laughs> <That's> <laughs> which is just right. a, exactly. a, a polite word yes. for a, just burn it and let all these exactly. toxic fumes go yes. it's, it's sort of pretty, pretty horrific isn't it now i mean obviously yeah. you know most of us are, are aware of you know recycling and council recycling we like you say most of us try to do the right thing and we're i guess crossing our fingers and hoping that our, you know our government's going to do a, a better job perhaps you know sorting this out in in the near future but in your article Julie you mentioned a number of really interesting quite innovative solutions mm. to the issues of, of plastic can you just um, run through some of those for us because they, they were quite fascinating I don't yeah. reckon a lot of our listeners would have heard of some of these before
1: yeah. So there's, as I mentioned, you've got reduced, reuse, recycle, recycling. I think um, perhaps another one we could add on there as far as plastic goes is re-engineer. Mm. So there's two sort of main pathways that a, a lot of researchers and so on are going down. One of the pathways is trying to make plastic biodegradable. So that's its big problem as we've identified, that it just doesn't break down. So they're looking at all sorts of different organisms that have maybe developed the ability to biodegrade plastic naturally, finding the enzymes responsible, tweaking those enzymes so that they can look realistically on a large scale to actually biodegrade the plastic back down to its mm. original molecules, so to speak, so that, you know, it can actually go back in more into the the sort of life cycle, I suppose, the, the ecosystem sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's been quite a few different... Discoveries and research along that pathway of, of finding either bacteria, microorganisms, or enzymes that can actually biodegrade the, the plastic that we currently use. Mm, so that's mm. one pathway. The other pathway is it's a little, sort of becoming full circle in some ways and going back to where we used to be, that we're looking at making plastics from non-petroleum bases so you're right. using more you know natural products again rather than synthetic product, products so that that plastic then becomes inherently biodegradable mm. we don't have mm. to look for organisms that will biodegrade it so
0: so uh, um, is cellulose one, one of those
1: That's right cellulose is basically what forms the the wall in the cells of plants mm-hmm. so animals and including humans we don't have a wall around ourselves we just have a membrane whereas plants have a much hardier wall and that's made from cellulose so plants and you know trees and bark and you know all sorts of plant um, tissues have heaps of cellulose in it and that's you know one area so we're looking at sugarcane derived bioplastic bioplastic film like glad wrap type of thing made from cotton processing waste so all that sort of thing. Corn starch is being used to create fibres for clothing, rather than using polyesters and those sorts of synthetic fibres that we are really just a plastic in a sense. Yeah, so that's one avenue. The other avenue is one that really interests me: is a company that's using a cellophane-like bioplastic produced by bees as oh, a wow. nesting material. They're they're actually trying to find the gene that tells the beans the bees how to make that material and actually then use that DNA, you know, inject it into bacteria and get the bacteria to produce that material en masse. So yeah, there is some amazing research going on. And even since I wrote that article, you know, you just keep seeing more and more different types of research and development that's going on around the world trying to make plastic that is inherently biodegradable. And the only problem, of course, is we're, we're getting you know a lot of those examples that I gave. They're using the waste products from industries that already exist, which mm. is great, closing that loop a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I can see we have to be very careful that we could become so reliant on it that we might run out of waste product. We may not have enough waste product to that, that we need, and and then again, you, you know, you might start sort of ripping into nature <laughs> trying to you know, get the source material once again and we sort of might get back to that original point where we were, you know, we decimated the elephant population
0: yeah, um,
1: getting the ivory from their tusks. So I know in this day and age, from a research and development perspective, they, you know, our researchers do try to think through the whole life cycle and really think ahead to where it's going to go and what the potential problems and implications are. So that's that's hopefully you know going to be happening in all of this
0: sort of research that's going on yeah and i guess that's the theme of your article in some ways isn't it this whole idea of unintended consequences that you know we, we humans are, are, are so clever and we come up with all these amazing technologies you know we we set these these revolutions in, in motion and then it's only a little bit down the track suddenly we realize oh uh-oh you know un- un- unintended <laughs> unintended consequences and and when you talk about you know some of these things like hey let's genetically engineer bees you know to make whatever i just think oh you know <laughs> what sort of you know gmo bees <laughs> are we going to release on the world and what unintended consequences are, are there i mean do you, are you hopeful that humanity will be able to find the answers to these problems or are you a, a, a bit dubious or like somewhere in the middle or like well what
1: Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, in terms of engineering bacteria to produce various things, one of the really great success stories along that is the um, the production of insulin so that insulin-dependent diabetics, they just used to die, you know, (laughs) whereas now we've had great success with being able to synthetically produce insulin and Now they don't have to die, you know. So we do have some great success stories. I think we just have to keep on doing the best we can and looking for the best solutions and really thinking through those the whole life cycle of of the solution that we come up with. I think a big part of the problem, and I hate to say it, but a big part of the problem is our population in Mm. terms of globally we have so many people and we have rising standards of living quite understandably that we you know whatever we do we do it on such a decimating scale you know whatever we produce we have to produce so much of it to feed or satisfy the enormous population that we have I think that's a big part of the problem and that's not necessarily going to go away but you know that's where we have to become really clever and hopefully you know just really care you know care about our earth and there's obviously a lot of people that do but Sadly, there are some people out there who sort of don't and who think there's no problem and that, you know, everything's just hunky-dory and we're overstating the situation. But, yeah, hopefully, yeah, I'm probably in the middle there somewhere that we yeah. can come up with some really good solutions, but we do have a lot of challenges along the way, particularly from a population
0: perspective. Yeah, I, I think the I probably tend not to be quite so, you know, negative on the population sort of side of things because mm. uh, i believe it's due to sort of flatten out you know the curve is due to flatten out by about 2050 i think they say in, yeah. in europe population statistics are actually going backwards at the minute well if, if it wasn't for um, immigration from from other countries so but i think you make a really good point to say that if all you know seven billion of us on this planet all expect to consume at western country sort of levels well, you know, even if there isn't a huge increase in population, that is going to be a, you know, a huge burden on, on the earth's resources.
1: Yeah. And I think you, you'll probably, you've probably heard the saying we don't need to do it perfectly. We don't, you know, every, you know if, if you're concerned about plastic, you don't have to totally get yourself into a knot to make your life completely plastic free and, and all that sort of thing. As they say, you know, it just takes a heck of a lot of people doing a little bit, making a small change. Mm. I just read an article recently about how much plastic waste comes out of hospitals because there's an enormous amount of single-use plastic used in the medical and health industries because of sterilisation and hygiene issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: it was looking at if they replaced just one particular product with a reusable, sterilizable product like they used to use, you know, if they went back to that sort of a product, I don't know if it was a single hospital or I can't quite remember now, but it was something like, you know, 20 billion tonnes of plastic waste that would be saved just from changing one product's use, you know. so Goodness. It just takes a lot of us making some small changes to mm-hmm. make a significant difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, Julie, I, I guess I, I really get a sense that there's a similar theme sort of developing like in in your writing, so the last article you wrote for us, which was late last year, that was called "Pestilence." That seems incredibly mm. relevant right now with the COVID nineteen <laughs> crisis. You know, oh my goodness. Talk, yeah, yeah. talked talked about how climate change is basically having an effect of of releasing new bacteria, like new mosquito-borne diseases. You know, and then we have superbugs in hospitals. Um, you know, because of possibly you know overuse of antibiotics, and 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 now we've got this sort of, this you know COVID nineteen situation which you know appears to be from you know eating animals that probably were you know well were never supposed to be eaten and coming possibly coming into contact with those wild animals because of environmental destruction deforestation you know to to the point where and, and I guess poverty overpopulation you know to the point where people feel that they want to eat a you know a bat or a or a pangolin, you know, a scaly anteater or or whatever. And it just really seems to me that in, in all of these cases, humanity, like we've sort of bought this on ourselves in, in some sense.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, you've listed off an incredibly, incredible complex lot of issues. You know, there's, there's so many challenges and difficulties going on in the world. I, I guess a lot of us are just doing the best we can and getting along in life. I mean, There are probably a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people, but at the top echelon of money makers perhaps who, you know, have a real focus on making money and aren't as concerned with what sort of impact they have on the environment. And yeah, you know, it really comes down a lot to the fact that we really like our standard of living and our lifestyle and we haven't really been concerned about what effects and consequences that has for the, the planet. So, yeah, we we really have to take responsibility for that. You know, I think as I said uh, in this article actually, you know, there may be no perfect solution to the problem of plastic waste but if you enjoy this beautiful planet that we have, we can't turn a blind eye and I think that's what it comes down to. If you you like where you live, if you love this planet and, and, you know, all the beauty that we have and the incredible creatures and animals and, ecosystems you know there's there's so much beauty and, and wonder in this world if we want to protect that and keep it then we, we can't do nothing we have to at least try and do the best we can
0: yeah yeah i i, I see your point i guess i just I just have the sense that sometimes we are, you know, taken with our own cleverness, and we should be realizing by now that we're sometimes not as clever as we we think we are. We maybe need to be a little bit more cautious, a, a little bit more careful, and I guess I, you know, just think of some of that ancient wisdom, you know, from the Bible that makes it clear that we as humanity, you know, have a really important responsibility when it comes to the natural world. You know, we're here to look after it. We have a a job of of stewardship. It's not, you know, something we we should be neglecting.
1: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I have to say my worldview has always been Christian worldview and I've grown up, you know, with a belief that Jesus will eventually come back and and put everything right and make everything right. And it's, it's actually allowed me to, I guess, live a life without being really worried and, and, you know, depressed about the state of the world. But I think you're right. We can't just kind of sit back and go, it's okay, God's going to fix it all one day. He actually does expect us, if we look at the Bible, he does actually expect us to look after the world while we're in it now, not just, you know, trash it and wait for him to come back and fix it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I guess it's it's probably... Wrong in some ways to sort of separate you know the natural world from our fellow human beings I mean we, we're all you know God's creations we're all we're all precious we're all worth looking after and yeah, perhaps you know I guess like you say we need to direct a little more of our cleverness at um, making sure we are, we are you know looking after each other and and looking after the uh, the planet we've we've been gifted with you know at, during the the short time you know perhaps that we we still have' it
1: yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Julia I really appreciate you being part of uh, Science of the Times radio this week and thanks also for yeah for writing for us in the March edition of the of the magazine.
1: My pleasure, thank you very much to Kent. I appreciate it.
0: Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just twenty-six dollars for eleven issues a year. To find out
1: more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly
0: produced by Adventist Media.
1: This is an Adventist Media podcast.